Well, the, uh, look around, it's a little bit of a, a thinner crowd today. I don't mean any of you are thinner, I mean the crowd is, is thinner. And uh, my guess is that as Cactus Campus and our venue and chapel join us, they might notice that, that a little bit too. It's a Labor Day weekend, the last hurrah before the, at, at the end of summer. Many people have a three or even four day weekend and it's obvious to me you folks had no place to go. And, uh, and Neither did I. My uh, wife said to me a couple weeks ago, she said, let's go away for Labor Day weekend. And I said, well, you do know I'm a minister, right, honey? I said, I'm, I'm working that weekend. And so she uh, is up in flag right now with some girlfriends. And <laughs> yeah, I know. But it was classic. I got my revenge. She called me at 4.30 on Friday. She's a school teacher. And she said, well, I, we just got all in the car and we're on the 17 and we're like in stop and go traffic. What's going on? And so I got on that Google Maps thing, and I looked at traffic, and I just smiled. I said, it's backed up for hours, honey. <laughs> she goes, should we turn around? And I said, no, just get to know each other. It's going to be a long trek up to Flagstaff. I think you're going to be glad you came to, to church and Cactus and Venue and Chapel. I think you will, too. We have a, a rich time planned right now in the Word. Uh, we're in a new series called Avenues that I'll explain more here in a minute. But I want you to do something with me. We did this a few weeks ago. I think it's really respectful to God to do this, and that's that I'm going to read the gospel reading right now, and you guys are going to do what? You're going to stand. So why don't you all stand with me, Cactus, Venue, and Chapel. Let's stand. I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20, and you can follow along as I read. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Why don't you pray with me? Father, thank you for your holy, awesome word that many of us have learned is life to our very souls. And so I pray, God, that as we unpack this account now and see what you have revealed in it, as well as what it says about our lives today, that, Lord, we would become richer, deeper, more committed followers of you. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So as I mentioned, we're in a series here at our church, an eight-week series out of one chapter in the Bible, Mark chapter 1, and we've called this series Avenues. I like that word avenue. It comes from an old French word from the Middle French. Kind of sounds French, doesn't it? Avenue or something like that. And the word in its original form meant a way of access, the act of approaching something. It pictures a well-worn road that will lead you to the center of something, like a city center or a beautiful country house. And it even assumes that there might be multiple roads, avenues, that lead you to the same place. So here would be a good image. This is a map quest picture of downtown Paris. Again, it's a French word. And these are all avenues that you see there taking you into the city center. That's what an avenue is. It's a road that takes you to the center of something. And there's multiple avenues usually. And what a great word picture for you and me to understand Mark chapter 1. 
Because what Mark is doing in this chapter is introducing to us Jesus, but then describing for us various avenues, pathways, if you will, that you and I can take to know Jesus, uh, to get to the center of our lives in Him. And so as we've seen, there are avenues like this, knowing Jesus through the voice of another. But we looked at that with John the Baptist and how he was a voice crying in the wilderness, pointing people to Jesus. And you and I have voices in our lives that point us to Jesus. It's an avenue to knowing him. And then last week, we talked about the wilderness and how dry times in the wilderness present to us an avenue to knowing God, to knowing Jesus in deeper ways. And in the coming weeks, we're going to explore things like what it means to listen to Jesus as an avenue, and prayer, and faith and trust, and even supernatural times in our lives become avenues to Jesus. You see, these are roads or pathways that we can take that take us to the place that our soul longs for, and that's deeper connection with our Savior. And today, we come to one of the most potent, albeit not very well understood, avenues, that of following. Following. And folks, here's what I have found about this idea of following and contemporary Christians today, and that is that we have relegated this act of following Jesus to an action that is reserved for only the really committed. We really have. In fact, when I hear most people talk about following, they kind of describe following Jesus as a step up from believing, which is a step up from not believing. So it might look like this on your screens there. You have an unbeliever who then goes on to become a believer and experiences salvation. And then if you're really committed, you become a follower and enter what we call discipleship. And our language gives us away. I hear Christians all the time say, I'm a Christ follower. I've decided to follow Jesus. I'm a committed follower. As if there's such thing as an uncommitted follower. Or or people say, you know, so-and-so is a believer, but they haven't really started following yet. You see, that's the way most of us see this word. We, We kind of put it in a hierarchy, which places following at the top. And here's the deal. And that is that when we do that, we have actually missed the biblical heart of this word and the actions that it can and should take, no matter where somebody might be, in their seeking of Jesus. Now, let me show you what I mean. As we turn our focus to the account that I just read earlier out of Mark chapter 1, you will have noticed that it mentions this word following three times in five verses. That's a theme. Three times in five verses, Jesus uses this word, or Mark in describing Jesus, this word following. And so here's what I believe is the main point of the account that we just read, and that is that the act of following Jesus is a multi-layered avenue that leads to increasingly knowing God. And you're saying, what? It's a multi-layered avenue. That's what following is that leads us to increasingly deeper places in knowing God through Jesus. Now, to see this and what it means, let's unpack this story before us, and I think you'll start to get the idea. First, notice to me that this account begins here with Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee there in verse 16. 
This is very early on in his ministry. That's really important to know. Uh, He hasn't done hardly any teaching yet. He hasn't called any disciples. He's not performed one miracle. And all of a sudden he sees two brothers, Simon, who will be named Peter and Andrew. These are normal, everyday fishermen. Fishing in that culture back then, as many of us know, was a trade. They didn't trade in stocks and bonds back then, but in natural resources like fish and things like that. So these guys were applying their trade, and they were casting their net into the sea. And in verse 17, Jesus says two words to them. He says, follow me, and then adds, and I will make you become fishers of men. Focus on those two initial words, follow me. Uh, That word follow, in the original Greek that the New Testament was written in, literally means to come away. It carries with it the idea of proximity, the idea that you are breaking away from what you are currently doing and moving to another place with someone else. So it's not a complicated term. If I said to you after the service today, follow me to a local restaurant, it would simply involve you changing proximity as you followed me from a worship center to a local restaurant. That's what's going on here. These men are following Jesus as they're going to learn more about him. And remember, these are normal, everyday fishermen. They did have a Jewish background, but they had no real understanding at this point of who Jesus was or is, certainly not to the point of being yet being able to call, be called believers. And yet what I need you to see is that Jesus beckons them to follow, to come away. And in verse 18, that's precisely what they did. It says, and they followed him. A different Greek word than before, this one means to hear and then go. So they responded to Jesus by accompanying him and seeking after him. So simply note at this point that before any believing has occurred, before any commitment or real understanding has occurred, Jesus calls these men to follow him, and that's precisely what they do. And then as if to hammer this initial concept of following home, the whole scene plays over again in verses 19 to 20, but this time with two different guys, James and John, and and they are also fishermen, and we know it's at the end of the day here because they're not casting their nets, they're doing what? They're mending their nets. So the day is done, they're getting ready for the next day, they're kind of fishing the nets that probably got torn there in the Sea of Galilee, and as they're doing that, Jesus once again calls them, and it says, and I quote, they left their father in the boat with the hired servants, and here it is again, followed him. The third usage of this word follow. Again, interesting, a different Greek word. you got three different Greek words all translated into English follow, but really meaning the same thing. Uh, this word here, the, the last one here, the word follow, uh, literally means to, to, to come away again, to come after the person. Again, it's a term of proximity that you are seeking. And, and so you have three uses of this idea of following, three different words, but all getting to the same reality, and it's simply this, that way before any of these men became believers in Jesus, way before they understood who he truly was, now don't miss this, they were called followers of him. To use our terminology today, we would call them seekers. 
They want to know more about Jesus. They're willing to leave their stuff and seek after him. They probably sensed something divine, maybe even Messiah-like in him. Again, they were Jewish. And so they decided to take the radical step of following him because they knew that maybe they'd understand who he is and then come to believe in him. And we know that this is the case, that they followed before they believed, because it isn't until a year later, in Mark chapter 8, verse 29, that Peter rightly identifies Jesus as the Messiah, that he becomes a believer in Jesus. A year after following, he becomes a believer. And this was probably true for the rest of the disciples as well. And what you need to know is that this is not a unique one-off in the way Jesus dealt with people. He regularly called them to follow even before they understood who he was and became believers in him. In Matthew chapter 9, Matthew the tax collector is sitting in his tax collecting booth, and Jesus says to him what? Follow me, even before he calls him to believe. And Matthew follows in Luke 9, an unnamed man wants to know more about Jesus, but first wants to attend his dad's funeral. And Jesus says, no, follow me now. You see, Jesus used this word and this idea of following in a different way than many of us do today. He used it regularly of those who were initially seeking him, who carved out space and time in their lives to find out more about him. And so maybe it would look like this on a chart. Look up on your screens. It's simply this, that, that following that leads to seeking and that seeking leads to believing. And that's what we're seeing so far in the account before us, that people became followers of Jesus in the New Testament, and as they followed, they sought more information out about him. When they understood who he was, that's when they came to believe. And certainly salvation, the securing of eternal life, comes only through believing and trusting. But it's interesting. Jesus knew that for people to believe in him, it would most likely begin with them choosing to find out more about him by following his teachings and even his ways. So following from a biblical standpoint, is not simply the, the third or last step for a Christian when you're serious about Jesus. According to, to the Bible standpoint here, in a sense, following precedes believing, and this is vastly different than the way many of us see it today. And though you're going to see why in just a second, I think this is so important to recognize and honor, before we get to that, I want you to know that it doesn't stop here. Go back to our main point. Now it'll start to make sense. I suggested to you that following Jesus is a multi-layered avenue. Remember that? A multi-layered avenue. We've only looked at one layer so far. This idea of following that's about seeking that leads to believing. But it's interesting. When you look closely at the teachings of Jesus, and especially how Jesus goes on to use this word following after Mark chapter 1, what we see is Jesus exploding this idea of following in a richer and fuller sense and basically arguing that following is also a richer layer that's supposed to occur as well after one believes that becomes the pathway to intimacy with God and a deeper understanding of him. And you're saying, what do you mean? We'll look up here on the screen. 
We've already established following is a form of seeking that leads to believing. But here's what Jesus then does with this concept. He then says that your road to discipleship after you believe is simply going to be to continue to follow. In other words, he uses this exact same word and concept after Mark chapter 1 here to describe now what he wants believers to do as we grow in him. It's just that it's a different level, a different layer of following. Let me show you what I mean. In talking with his 12 eventual disciples on what it's going to take to live a God-centered life after one comes to believe, look at what Jesus says in Matthew 16, verses 24 to 25. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, here it is, and follow me. For whoever save his life is going to lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So don't miss this, guys. Unlike Mark 1, where following is used in the context of, hey, leave that stuff and come find out more about Jesus, here following takes on a tone of self-denial, of losing oneself for God's sake, of taking up a cross, a life of self-sacrifice and abandonment, a kind of a different level of following than merely coming after Jesus that we see in Mark 1. Wouldn't you say? And if you're still not convinced, how about when Jesus was dealing with the rich young ruler? Do you remember that scene? The rich young ruler is asking specifically, what does it take to inherit eternal life? And what does Jesus say to him? This is fascinating. Jesus says in Matthew 19, 21, if you would be perfect, meaning if you would have a a, a vital, take you to heaven, walk with God, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So here, following involves giving to those in need, parting with earthly wealth, and focusing one's sights on heaven. It's a different layer of following. Or how about John 10, verses 27 and 28, when Jesus is talking about those who are truly his sheep, and he uses the word follow in this way. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. And so in this instance, follow carries with it the idea that you actually hear Jesus speak to you and guide you through this weary world all the way to eternity. Are you starting to get the idea? There's a further level or layer of following that Jesus goes on to talk about, a layer that certainly involves coming to the point of faith and belief, but then propels you into a richer, deeper walk with God. Following is a much more full-orbed, multi-layered avenue than most of us would ever realize. It's the thing that gets you going in the first place when you're initially seeking Him, but then it explodes as the avenue that's core to our discipleship as we learn to walk with you, I mean, walk with Christ. I don't know about you guys, but when I look at this idea of following from the full-orbed, multi-layered way that Jesus presents it to us, I begin to see the profundity of it all. Because what I realize is that I now can view seekers in a very real sense as followers. And I can view veteran Christians in a very real sense, also as followers. 
Because Jesus used this word, and so does the Bible, that way. And, and what this does is that it presents following as the initial pathway to salvation when you're first seeking Jesus, but then following becomes the further and continual avenue also for growth and discipleship. And some of you are saying, well, big whip, so you see following that way. Well, here's the big deal for me, guys. And that is that when I see following from this biblical standpoint, now don't miss this, I realize now that for anybody who has any interest in Jesus at all, then this idea of following contains something for everyone. You see, no longer is following just reserved for veteran believers. No longer is it just reserved for those of us who are really committed, though I hope most of us are, but now following becomes an avenue, a pathway to discovering and knowing Jesus for all and for any who pine after him. In a very real sense, this biblical understanding of following places us all on the same and level playing field, which, by the way, Jesus did quite often in his earthly ministry, didn't he? I mean, Jesus treated the woman caught in adultery with a lot of grace and truth, just like he treated the Pharisees. He treated Zacchaeus up the tree with the same grace and truth that he dealt with with maybe the religious leaders of his day. He tended to see all humanity on a fairly equal playing field. And it's interesting that he would dare to label an initial seeker a follower and then also call those of us who are very serious about him a follower. And so when I see it this way, Christianity no longer just becomes a club that you're either in or out of, depending on your answer to a few doctrinal questions, as important as those questions might be. But now Christianity becomes a journey that you and I take, that many people are taking, a journey that God labels us a follower right from the point that we start seeking his son Jesus and that takes us through salvation into discipleship and a lifelong learning of what it means to be a follower. And it's a rich, rich term that Jesus presents for us here. You know, one of the reasons I think this is so important is because I spend a lot of my pastoral ministry trying to help people who are very new to Jesus assimilate into the Christian community. And some of us don't realize how cloistered or even strange we might be uh, until you try to assimilate somebody who is new to the faith or even seeking into even a place like Scottsdale Bible. I remember the first times I, I realized this was in my last church. I was back in my hometown of Chagrin Falls and pastoring my home church, and I had bumped into a guy who was attending my church that I went to high school with. And he wasn't a Christian at that time, and, and he had gone to law school and became a very successful lawyer in Cleveland, and he was now attending the church that I was pastoring. And, and I believe he had come to a point of faith, but he was relatively new uh, in, his, in his walk with Jesus. And one day we did a huge push for small groups in our church, just like we did a few weeks ago here at our church. And he and I were having lunch that week, and I just casually asked him, hey, did you sign up for a small group? And he looked at me and said, no, I didn't sign up for a small group. He said, I don't think that's for me. And I said, why? And he said, well, you know, when I, when I first started coming to church, I tried one of those Bible studies, and I felt like an absolute fish out of water because I realized that though I have a doctor of jurisprudence, I'm Bible stupid. 
And, and he said, you know, everybody in the small group knew the Bible and quoting the Bible and talking about this and that. And I had no idea what they were talking about. And I just realized it wasn't for me. So I just don't think I'm going to go to Bible study anymore. And obviously my answer to him was simply, well, how do you think those people in the small group got to know the Bible so well? I mean, at one point they were Bible stupid too and just started attending more Bible studies and they kind of grew in their understanding, so avoiding them isn't going to help your cause. I mean, I did explain all that to him. Uh, But then I also thought later, why does a guy feel like that who's trying to get involved more in a church that he is attracted to? Could there be something about us and the way that we view or even label people that are newer to the faith or even seeking the Jesus that we know? Could there be a way that we view them that makes them feel different? You see, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus had a way with the woman at the well as well as with his disciples. He had a way with Peter when he was denying him as he did with the religious leaders of his day. And I think part of his secret is that when somebody initially showed interest in them, he said what? Follow me. And I'm going to label you a follower right now even though you're Bible stupid, even though you don't know much. Because if you follow me, then you're probably going to find me. And then when you find me, you've already learned a little bit of what it takes to follow. And now you're going to really follow. And it'll take you to the center of your soul where you, need, where you can find God in much deeper and richer ways. You see, that's why I love this idea of following. It allows each of us to gauge where we might be with God without shame without embarrassment, and still be a part of what we call the, the, the community of faith. And so here's my dream for Scottsdale Bible Church and all of our campuses. Wouldn't it be great if we started to embrace this idea of following in this way? And that as people come to seek Jesus in our midst, look around, we got some room now, we spread people out. So as people start to seek Jesus in our midst, wouldn't it be awesome if they felt so welcome here because the moment they would start seeking him, we consider them fellow followers. We know they maybe haven't come to believe yet, but that's okay because they've taken the first step that Jesus talks about that is so awesome. They're following after him. And as they seek in our midst, as they understand what, what worship is about and the word and prayer and Christian fellowship, and as they ask questions, believe me, as we'll see in a minute, they're going to come to the point where they understand more about Jesus and are confronted with this idea of faith or no faith. But it's going to be on the coattails of following and our tie to them is that we're all following at some level. It's a multi-layered avenue to understanding God and Jesus. Now, we still have one main issue before us in our little time remaining here today, and that is, once we understand this biblical idea of following, the question becomes, what precisely is involved in following Jesus? In other words, regardless of what layer or what level one might be at in following, what does it take for you and me to call ourselves a follower? Isn't that a good thing to explore? So if you're just starting out and you're seeking after Jesus, or if you've been a Christian for a zillion years and you're kind of firing on all eight cylinders, 
what is it that allows any of us to call ourselves followers? Going back to our text, three things that it presents to us. And here's the first thing. You are a follower if you are engaging in some sort of sacrifice and priority as you focus on Jesus. Following involves sacrifice and priority at all levels. So look again at verses 18 and 20, and you'll see what I mean. Notice with me how it describes these initial followers in their following. It says, and immediately, here it is, they left their nets and followed him. Then verse 20, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed Jesus. So even this initial act of following, even before belief entered in, entailed some sort of sacrifice, some sort of prioritization. They had to leave their nets, or I find it kind of humorous, their father and servants sitting in the boat in order to follow Jesus, even in that initial act of following. And what you need to know is that at all levels, at all layers, this is a theme that Jesus would hit. Jesus would go on in describing following by saying this, let the dead bury their own dead, you follow me. Anybody who would put his hand to the plow and look back isn't fit to follow me. Deny yourself and follow me. You get the idea. No matter what level Jesus is talking about, it involves some sort of prioritization, some sort of sacrifice for it to be considered following. And when you think about it, guys, this only makes sense. We all know that we have a limited and finite amount of time in our lives, attention, emotional margin, relational capacity. Life is very busy for each and every one of us. And we've learned to get the most out of something, it's going to take priority and sacrifice. And it's the same with following Jesus. And what's really fascinating is that when you do an audit then of your spiritual experience with Jesus up to this point, you find out in hindsight that that's exactly what has happened. That any understanding or intimacy or experiences you've had with Christ through following have involved sacrifice and priority. As many of you know, I didn't grow up in, the, uh, in going to church much at all, Christmas and Easter, until I was about 17 years old. I did not have a personal relationship with Jesus. And when I was about 17, I started seeking the Lord, basically because of some internal itches and, and thirsts that I had inside of me. And, and I got to tell you, when I, when I do an audit of my year 17 of life going into year 18, I realized that even as a dopey high school student, I knew that if I was going to seek after Jesus and become a follower that way, it was going to take some priority, that I was going to need to read the Bible instead of comic books, that I was going to have to go to campus life meetings, which was the Young Life kind of group back in the Midwest that was helping me understand Jesus, that I was going to have to start to talk more. Uh, and ask questions as I sought him, and even experienced some of the ridicule from my friends when they would say, Jamie's getting religious. What, what's gotten into you, dude? And things like that. Even my parents thought, this rebellious kid, well, I hope it helps him, but why is he getting into religion? And I realized very quickly that even in seeking mode as a young follower, it was going to take some priority in order for me to understand Jesus. And for about six to 12 months, I sought him. Now I realize as a follower, 
And eventually, as you guys know, I came to believe in him the more that I was following him. I realized in, my, in hindsight that even as a young Christian, even as a young seeker, that following was going to involve priority and sacrifice. So here's my point to you today. Two things, practical things you want to take from this. Uh, one, if you're a seeker here today, that from this point on we're going to call you a follower because you're following after Jesus as you seek him, please don't take your seeking lightly. Do not be casual about it. Don't treat this as, hey, I'm looking in to purchase another car or something like that. This is your very soul that you are talking about. Eternity is at stake. The God of the universe who loves you and has made you is now happy that you're seeking after him. And so when you hear about sacrifice and priority, I encourage you, if you're seeking through following right now, take that very seriously. And as I'm going to share with you in a minute, Jesus promises that as you continue to seek him with purity of heart, you will find him. Ask, he says, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Jesus said that. And he's going to help you find him. But, but be sober and serious about your following. And then as a second practical application, you know what we need to do as a church? We need to stop being shy or even embarrassed when people in our lives show interest in Jesus, show interest in why we go to church, and we need to capitalize on that and say, join me as you seek him. Join me at my church. I, I mean, I think we've done great injustice uh, to this idea of helping others understand Jesus by having our church world over here and, and, and then our daily secular, whatever you call it, world over here. Many of us are way too compartmentalized. I try every Sunday to help you bring your Sunday world into Monday through Saturday so that your faith affects anything. But let's reverse it now. Why don't you bring your Monday through Saturday world into church? Amen? And that, boy, you guys are pathetic. Why don't you bring your Monday through Saturday world into church? Amen? Amen. In other words, we've created space. You've got people in your lives who are seeking Jesus. Bring them to church. And some of you are going, what if they say something that, you know, I don't like? Well, grow up. God's in charge of this process. Amen? Amen? I can't get in the way of what God wants to do, even as goofy as I might get. And maybe look at it this way. It couldn't be worse than Christian television. So, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to do something here that, that… I can't believe I said that. But anyways, it's true. I watch Christian television sometimes, and I just cringe. And I think, we don't do stuff like that at church here. We're real. We love people. We talk about Jesus. We're very clear. And so if you have seekers in, the, in your life and they're showing interest in Jesus, invite them into your world and journey with them. You're a follower in a very real, well, real way. They're a follower. So meet them in that and even bring them to church. And then I don't have time to explain this, but I've done an audit of my life. I've realized that, that after I became a believer, as a young man in college, now sacrifice and priority was huge as I followed Jesus. I, I had to reprioritize my whole life. I, I had to learn how to use my time in church and service to others. I had to, to learn how to date. I only had two dates in college, but I had to learn how to do that. And I had to learn how to, how to relook at marriage and relook at relationships and, and, and all the things. My time, talents, and treasures are now up for grabs to the point that now every day as I consider my following of Jesus, and I hope you do this too, every day 
is a choice of priorities and sacrifice. Amen? It is. I, I, I choose what to spend my leisure time on, how to use my money, how to treat others, how to engage in parenting, how to love my wife Kim. It's all at stake. And it all involves this avenue of following. It's all a part of sacrifice and priority. So how about you? In what ways are you prioritizing Jesus as you dare to call yourself a follower of him? Uh, secondly, I've already hit on this, so we're just going to look at it very cursory. Following does involve faith and trust. It involves faith and trust. And all I mean by this is to think about it when Matthew, I'm sorry, when, when Peter and when Andrew and when James and John initially started to follow Jesus, they had to have some faith and trust that he was going to hopefully deliver <laughs> on what their souls were longing for. Amen. And that's Matthew 7, verses 7 through 8, where Jesus promised. He said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. And again, this is true at all levels of our following, all layers of it. As we initially follow him, if we continue to follow, and this is an encouragement I give to seekers all the time, as you continue to open your heart and mind to him, he will reveal himself to you. And you will come to the point of believing. I, I believe that with everything in me. And then after salvation, as you continue to follow him, as you prioritize and sacrifice and then have faith and trust, he will use that avenue to grow you closer to him. And, and so where are you trusting in Christ right now? That would be a good question for you. And, and then notice a third but very important trait involved in following. And with this will be done. And, and that is that following involves having an understanding of it being a process that involves perseverance. In other words, I'm suggesting to you that following is not a singularity. It's not even binary, I don't think, where it's either on or off. I think it's a journey, and it's a process, and one that you have to hang in there with if you're ever going to find God. How do we know this is true? Uh, very quickly, one last time in the text here, Mark 1.17 contains something very interesting. It says, and Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Fascinating. Some translations don't include that word become. They just say, uh, Jesus saying, and I will make you fishers of men. That word become is very important. It's the Greek word ginomai. It appears over 600 times in the New Testament. Very common word. It literally means to become. But used in this context here, isn't this interesting? Uh, what Jesus is suggesting, and most commentators point this out, is that as they follow him over time and through a painful and slow process, he will allow them to become fishers of men. So it wasn't going to happen overnight. And sure enough, you read the rest of the Gospels, you read the book of Acts, even in the epistles, and you realize that their following, though it would become multi-layered and go deeper, it was going to take time as they developed in their ability to become fishers of men. And what do we learn from that? We learn that following indeed is a journey. It's a process, three steps forward, two steps backward, in which we move forward each day as we follow him. And some days you just tie a knot at the end of the rope and hang on for dear life. You need to persevere because as you stick in there with God, he says you will draw closer to him down this avenue. You will start to find him in deeper and richer ways, but it is going to be a process. So how do you know if you're a follower? Well, there's some sacrifice involved, right? And you're reprioritizing your life. You're growing in your faith and your trust. 
And then also, you're realizing intuitively that it's a process and you're persevering. If you can say those three things about your spiritual life in Jesus, then you, at whatever level, are actually a follower of Him. I've tried more than anything today just to uplift this idea of following uh, so that you and I would salivate after being deeper and richer followers of Jesus. I'm going to close with this because I think this is kind of funny. S.I. McMillan in his book, None of These Diseases, tells the story of a young woman who wanted to go to college, but her heart sank as she read this question on the application. It said, are you a leader? (laughs) And realizing that she wasn't, she decided to be honest, and she simply wrote no and returned the application, expecting the worst. To her surprise, she got in. And in her college acceptance letter, it said this, and I quote, Dear applicant, a study of the application forms reveal that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that we have at least one follower. (laughs) I I love that. See, God turns it all upside down, doesn't he? This world is after all of us being leaders. God is simply interested in you being a follower. So let's follow well. Why don't you pray with me? Father, thanks for your goodness and for your grace. Thanks for the truth that sets us free, as Jesus said. I pray, God, for each and every one of us here today and at our venues that as we contemplate our own lives and consider this idea of following in Jesus, that you would help us gauge where we are with your your Son, the second person of the Trinity, and that, Lord, we would be honest and unashamed in our lives uh, when it comes to our seeking of You and our following of You. Uh, God, I pray for each one here today that, God, You would help us to become richer and more committed followers of Your Son, Christ. May we see this avenue in a fresh way today, and may You ignite our walk with You. And I pray this in Christ's name, and we all say together, Amen. Amen. Uh, We're going to sing one last song, ironically, on following, (laughs) and uh, we're going to take up our elder fund offering. We do this once a month. It's not a double dip. This is a special offering that goes to those in need in our community. Part of this offering will also be used to help kids who can't go to camp to go to camp. So please give generously. God bless this time uh, as we give to you now and our worship as we close. In Christ's name, amen.